Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm glad that you're here on this episode. We're going to talk about if denominations are even worth it or they're useless. And then we're going to talk about a, a quote from Kerry Newoff that talked about the reality of friendships in the church. But I am here up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, our buddy Delmar is doing pastoral stuff today, so he's not with us. But up in Baltimore, Maryland, we have Jeff Simpson. Hello, everyone. I'm supposed to give a fresh haircut. You look really good right now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's on like day five after the haircut, so that's peak, peak freshness. Peak. Uh, down in uh, the morning after ministry studios, we have Andrew Larson. Also known as my office. Yeah. And down in wait, what's behind? What's that? What's behind you, Tim? There's like a, a, a is a beer towel. That um, here is a Christmas tree that should have been taken down at Christmas time, but it's still up. <laughs> and you know what? It looks great back there. Over there is the Jag Stadium, but there's a Boca effects. You probably uh, can't see it. There's nice. like this. There's looks like a bottle behind you, but I don't know what I don't know what it is. Anyways. Glad you're here, Timothy Miller. Hey, um, violin, I think it's a ukulele, violin, ukulele, and guitar. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, we uh, we are still going through our large list of questions that was brought to you by those who filled out a survey of the questions you want to hear on this podcast, and we're gonna go to Ryan. I'm gonna I'm assuming it's Lutz because there's a city hey, in great Tampa. free sermon uh, idea generator too. Put a survey out oh. to your congregation. What theological questions they have? Of course. Pretty that's fun. good. That's good. There's a there's a there's a suburb of Tampa called Lutz, L U T Z, and so I'm guessing this is how he pronounced his name, Ryan Lutz. And uh, his question was: Are denominations necessary or even helpful? Are denominations necessary or even Ryan? Helpful? I'm love- sorry that you've been hurt by a denomination in the past, buddy. This sounds like <laughs> it's coming from a place of pain, <laughs> a deep place of, of hurt. Yeah. What uh, uh, What do you guys think? Are they necessary? Obviously not. No, they're not necessary. Are they helpful? 100%. I mean, my experience of the denomination I'm in has been nothing but, well, I shouldn't say nothing, but like 80% good. Are there some downsides? Of course there are. Uh, I think there's a lot more upside, though, um, from what I've seen. So the biggest upside to me from the pastor's perspective is that I automatically have uh, people that I can connect with and do ministry with. So my denomination is split up geographically and I have a district and we meet as a district. And so I know the other pastors in my denomination that are nearby to me. So it like kind of creates an automatic little community. Um, the upside to me for the church is the way our denomination works. My, my ordination and license does not come from my church. It comes from my denomination. And so it is not my church. I am basically a steward of the denominations church. And so I can't do wild stuff. Um, there's accountability, there's discipline structure. There's somebody who is outside of our congregation who, uh, it is, a it would be a lot less easy for me to manipulate because I am not like their leader. Uh, so I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Of course, there's a lot of critique that could be had. Uh, but I think there's a lot of critique for completely independent churches too. And I don't think you can make a biblical case either way. I think, you know, it seems like there's evidence in church history and maybe even the New Testament of churches working together uh, in some form. So, you know, I think there's a obviously there's a perspective on how denominations work from like highly hierarchical, more presbytery and then congregational 
and my denomination is kind of in the middle between those two. So, um, you know, I see it as a big benefit and a help. I spent the first 10 years of my ministry career in the first, you know, 20 years of my life in unaffiliated churches, whether, you know, they, they were either Baptist churches. Wait a minute. No Are you affi- saying you went into ministry when you were 10? No, I'm saying the first 20, <laughs> the first 10 years of my ministry career and the first 20 years of my life, like, you know, as a kid in yeah, college. Yeah, I just, I just heard that as uh, like, yes. I started ministry at 10. Well, do you know what? There you go. That's an argument for denominations right there because you have the weird non-denominational churches ordaining 12-year-olds sometimes that you're like, hey, that's weird. That in and of itself should be an argument for denominations because it's a lot harder to be weird when you're in a denomination. And I am in a denomination that Tim can back me up on is full of some kind of big weirdos. But it's a lot harder to be weird in a denomination than it is as an independent church. Um, I, I think there are pros and cons to both. The you know when I was a 27, 28 year old coming into or no, however old I was, coming out of seminary, coming into a denominational church, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I was, you know, man, this is stupid. Why are we doing all of this? And then just the past couple summers, watching everything that the SBC messengers have been dealing with, when there is no accountability and no structure of discipline from one church to another, I thought, my goodness, I am so grateful to be in a denomination. So I think there are bureaucracies in denominations that are going to trip you up sometimes and make things take longer than they need to be and be more difficult than they need to be. But there's also safeguards there. I think the question that needs to be asked and probably the most fair critique of denominations is, does the church exist for the denomination or does the denomination exist for the church? If you can say that the denomination exists for the benefit of each individual church, then wonderful. Sign me up. That's a, a structure I am happy to be a part of. But the minute that the denomination becomes you know, so big and so powerful that the churches are seen as instruments that need to serve the denomination, hard pass. I'm out on that. Yeah, that's – I mean when I said 80 85% plus, that's about the 20 25% negative. It's like – all of our churches could literally exist no problem without the denomination. Now, with the exception of some of the smaller churches that get a lot of help from the denomination. So there is that. But just in terms of like, if the local churches did not exist, denominations would not exist. They only exist because local churches exist and not the other way around. So I totally agree with you, Andrew. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on this. I think there's pros and cons here. For us, uh, one of the pros is our denomination also holds our mortgage. So that's really helpful. Um, whenever there were in the past, if there was a, you know, a financial issue, we could reach out, have a chat. They could suspend mortgage payments for a period of time until we were financially healthy again. Obviously we haven't had to do that in a while, but it has been helpful to do in the past. I'm also a big fan of congregational polity. So I, I, and I think they can both exist together. Uh, our denomination, Andrew, does do this well. They allow for congregational polity. So we, we're allowed to make decisions as a church body, which we do. Um, we really don't need the denomination to, like, we don't need their approval for for most things, for certain things. So I, I think there's this sweet spot where as long as they allow us to operate and they allow you to operate as you feel like you need to be operating in your context, then it could be really sweet. However, you guys know the horror stories where they do want to stick their thumb down on you and try to micromanage a bit when it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to step in and do that. 
And the other side of this is a theological side. If you if you're onboarding new members and that new member ventures onto your denomination's website and says, wait a second, that's not what we teach on Sundays, right? Then all of a sudden there is another conversation that needs to be had there too. So pros and cons and in, in the slippery slope of denominations going south, this might be like this might be a different conversation in five years when we've lost, you know, half Absolutely. the denominations that we have now. So I think we continue having this conversation and, and guys, maybe we need to start our own network soon. I, I don't know. It, it could be the only way in the future. <laughs> the right? one issue that exists kind of across the board, uh, and, and again, our Southern Baptist friends will say, well, not us. Well, yeah, the Southern Baptists are not a denomination, but more, not even more often than not, I would say 99% of the time, denominations are going to be more progressive than the average church in that denomination because the people that say, hey, I'm going to go in and I'm going to affect policy and I'm going to you know, lean into institutional change in the denomination are usually the ones in the more progressive churches. Also, if you have a denominational seminary, more times than not, the denominational sem seminaries are going to be left of where the vast majority of the congregations are. So that's a real issue for a lot of churches. I mean, Again, Tim, Tim and my neither of us went to the seminary in our denomination, and I don't know that any of uh, that either of us anyone. So that becomes a real issue as well, especially if seminaries are tied to ordination. I was going to ask you guys a quick question in terms of actual polity. Um, in in my denomination, we have a uniform constitution, so we call it constituted authority, where like all of our churches are under the authority of the denomination based on the fact that to be accredited. You have to have the same constitution, but you can have a variation of bylaws um, within that constitution. So uh, quickest example is we can either have a – uh, so for us, elders are the highest ecclesiastical authority in the local church, and elders are men. And within uh, a church's bylaws, you can either have the an all-elder governing board where elders fill all of the other like offices – for the nonprofit, or uh, which is what we have, you can have a governing board and an elder board, as long as the combination of the two has a majority of elders. You can have non-elder board positions filled by women. Um, so that's what we've done. But I was at an Alliance church where all of the positions were filled by men who were also all elders. So I was just wondering with you guys, do you have that kind of situation where that, that's what makes us a combination where, you know, the denomination is not telling me uh, that I have to have this specific layout of how the polity works, but there's like boundaries. And so I have room, wiggle room in between uh, to do things like, I, you know, the elders can appoint offices within the church basically as, as long as those don't become also elders. Uh, and if they're outside of like what our constitution and our statement of faith say. So I was just wondering if that's how it works with you guys. Andrew, we can't hear you, buddy. That's because my cursor was in the wrong spot to turn off my mute. Um, <laughs> similar in that um, we have, you know, there are several pillars that you would say, or, or we have covenant affirmations where it's these are the things we're not going to disagree on. But if you agree on these things, then you're you can call yourself one of us. And within that, there's room for different things in each church. Um, there are churches like Tim's church right now is male only elders. My church is about fifty fifty. So it, it each church is free to make their own um, decisions for the specific church. 
for instance, uh, or not for instance, another thing is our denomination can strip our ordination or our licensing, but they can't fire us from the church. So the yeah, church same. can the church can say, well, do you know what? We're going to say we disagree with you and keep our pastor and you can slap us on the wrist or try to do whatever you want. But so be it. So it, it it's a pretty good mix of accountability for the pastors without um, holding the churches on a short leash, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're actually going through that right now because of some polity changes we made around women in ministry. And so we've had, I sit on a board for my district and there are churches in our district who were in the process of either disaffiliating altogether and becoming independent or maybe some other denomination or becoming a status we just call accredited or sorry, affiliated. Accredited is like the normal situation, but affiliated would be you are not an official Alliance church, but maybe you really like to support Alliance missions. Uh, so a lot of churches are opting for that. So the pastor is no longer an ordained Alliance pastor. They're no longer an accredited Alliance church, but they're still affiliated with us as kind of more like a network relationship. So yeah, we're in kind of the same boat, it sounds like, as you guys, as far as the way the authority actually works. Frank, your church is completely independent, right? Kinda. So I, this is actually interesting because I was thinking about, and we, you guys haven't really said this. Uh, Jeff, you're in the CMA, uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, uh, Tim and Andrew, uh, it's the Evangelical Covenant. Is that the denomination name, right? Yes. Um, and then um, Dell was SBC. His church is actually probably the only true non-denominational church of all of us. His church, though, is non-denominational, but they probably would affiliate more with SBC than anything else. Um, and we are non-denominational, but we are affiliated with uh, Converge, which, you know, at this point, I feel more comfortable just saying that our denomination is Converge because it kind of functions like a denomination with maybe a little bit less oversight. They have a statement on our, like, like we have to appropriate their doctoral statement to be our doctoral statement, which is it's a pretty it's a pretty broad umbrella, so it's pretty good. And then even the conversation you just had just said, Jeff, there are like egalitarian churches and complementarian churches in the the scope of of converge. Um, it, it's kind of like if you can if you can support the basics and believe in the mission of planting churches, you can be a part of converge, which I think leads to a, a what I think the benefits of of a denomination is. I always go back to the conversation that Tim Keller had on the Mark Driscoll podcast, uh, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mark Driscoll, that episode was probably the one of the most illuminating episodes. the Rise episodes. and Fall of Mark Driscoll. you just want to make the whole thing about Mark Driscoll, then... You're right, you're right. Be, I'm sorry. Your last name You got the right title. Because it, <laughs> it was always just about Driscoll. Let's be real. Anyways, <laughs> Keller, Keller said, uh, Keller said um, uh, you know, what denominations do is it gives a level of accountability so that the congregation can trust that the pastors are in check, which I guess elders are supposed to do that. Um, but like uh, the, the, um, the denominations will even help check the elders and the pastor um, to keep with what you guys keep talking about. Like there's boundaries that they can't cross, um, but there still should be some autonomy and freedom within those boundaries. Does that make sense? And, um, and I think that's where, a good denomination thrives in. It's like churches have a giant sandbox to sit in where they can make a lot of choices and decisions and have a lot of autonomy. But the bumper rails is like, stay within the realm of orthodoxy. Now there might be some like specific nuances that like a denomination want to help 
like, you know, a Wesleyan denomination is going to be very different than like an Acts 29 or like a more reformed denomination. Right. But like, uh, but nevertheless, like it's pretty broad even still within that. I think that the, 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 the thing that is the common denominator in all this is like uh, a lot of denominations offer uh, financial support. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, just like care and support for pastors and churches as well as like so many pastors would not have retirement if it wasn't for denomination. Does that make sense? Like churches cannot sustainably support a pastor if it wasn't for the denomination providing some sort of pension or 401k. And then um, I think church, I think denominations also help pastors get uh, secondary education a lot more affordably if you are willing to go to those schools you know uh, andrew and tim said they probably wouldn't necessarily endorse the seminary that their their denomination supports um you know i went to a baptist seminary uh only because i felt like the the denominational seminary that isn't converged was a bit more expensive than, than i could afford and stuff like that but um i think that's the silver spot the, the silver lining in this i do think that if you are not denominational Andrew kind of hinted towards this. I I, I thought about my own experience. My first few years, my first 10 years in ministry and my first like few years of growing up in church were in non-denominational churches. And I'll say, I can say this as bold as I can. The healthiest places I've been is when that church is in a network of some sort, like whether it's a denomination or some sort of network, those two independent churches were truly independent and like, you saw a lot of like, I don't want to say corruption, because that might be too big of a thing, but like lack of oversight, lack of accountability, where at least this church, um, when we did face some trauma and some, some issues that we had to go through, our denomination came in and walked alongside us and helped us. And like you said, our denomination cannot fire a pastor in our church, but our denomination can give our elders a lot of insight on what to do and things like that. And that was critically helpful. I have a, I have retirement because of this, this denomination. Um, you know, there's all this, all the kind of stuff that, that's beneficial. So is it necessary? That's not really the right answer. Is it wise and is it helpful to be a part of a network or denomination? I think there is a lot of, of what wisdom in there. Um, but at minimum, in the same way about like having friendships is important, a church choosing to enter into a network that kind of submits itself into some sort of accountability is like a good guardrail for the church that like your congregants can even say the elders and the lead pastor has guardrails for themselves that they're kind of sitting under. But, you know, there's denominations that kind of add to that and create like, you know, Presbyterian structures that like speak more into like, I, I, I always get blown away when I hear about like the Methodist church, how they can like move lead pastors every two years and stuff like that. Like I, I'm sure there's like, for wisdom. A, during a six month window. Really? Yeah. Like, I mean, between January and June, they could just, be like you're moving sure, typically I, they keep him in the same conference so it's like somewhat it, close it's but... like it's like you know international soccer there's the transfer window yeah it is <laughs> no and i've I, had like three friends from this neighborhood get transferred and it was mm. like they were it was anxiety city for the that time and i'm sure any methodist friends listening to this has more co- like wisdom and insight of why that happens i'm sure there's like a good reason for that i just I, I, st- I just can't wrap my mind around the care for a congregation when your lead pastor, the main shepherd of that congregation, is leaving every, you know, two years they or whatever They just have a different view. Like, they are they have, like, committees that basically take it. They don't see the pastor as, like, really part of the church. 
It's almost yeah, like yeah. a hired gun coming in. So, I mean, that's my view of it. I was yeah. going to say this, though. I think the only, like, people who I've ever been around who really have, like, a very negative uh, view of denominations, their reasons tend to be almost exactly the same reasons why people resist church discipline, which tends to be, like, rebellion. Like, the people that are like, I think denominations are terrible are typically giving you the same things like the one of the things that people don't like here is we have a reversionary clause in our denomination. So if you leave the denomination, the property reverts to the denomination and you may not like that at all. But the fact is that's what your church signed up for. Like that wasn't a surprise. So that's a conversation that I think is like, you're just now wanting to change the rules. You were fine with them, you know, before, but now you want to change them. To me, it's kind of like, it's the same reason people don't like church discipline. They just don't want anyone to tell them what to do. It's it's really interesting. Just the 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 conversation about uh, about denominations also makes me realize that like I have a friend I just saw today who planted a church, and I had no idea if there was a denomination. I knew that they had some like church planting affiliates networks, which church plant networks is like almost a denomination in itself in many ways, but like. Um, there, I, I wonder if you talk, oh yeah, Jeff, you talked about this, how like maybe the CMA is considering being like partners as opposed to like in the denomination and like he's partnering with the Wesleyan church to be able to, 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 to launch this. And, and, um, I, I think about how like there's assemblies of God church that just changed their name and got assemblies of God out of their title. Obviously a lot of Baptist churches are removing Baptists from their title. And I don't know, you know, if that feels like a little bait and switch, but I think sometimes Churches recognize the benefit of being a part of a denomination and network, but understand that, like, in maybe certain communities, the, the stigma of that denominational title is not worth having it in their name and their branding and their, like, you know, incorporation. So, like, they remove it. And that could be also something to think about. It's like, if you're in an area, like, case in point, in the Midwest, when you say Baptist, they're not thinking SBC. They think independent fundamental Baptist. And that brings along with it a lot of baggage that, in the South, a Baptist church in the title of your name is like a prestigious, like that's the church we have to go to. It's very different in the Midwest. And so if you're SBC planning up here, you're probably not going to have the word Baptist in your name because of that very much. Very, very thing. Well, anyways, let's move on to the next subject. But before we do that, Andrew, can you share with everybody um, what our friend is doing on the podcast network? Yeah. In just a couple of weeks, 10 days from now on February 15th, Matt Coyne is releasing a new podcast. It is all on church revitalization. I mean, three of the four of us sitting here have recently undertaken revitalization projects, so it's a subject that we care a whole lot about, and it's one that a lot of pastors need to have someone talk through with them. So um, Matt Coyne, he's got the Church Revitalization podcast that is dropping here on the Practically Pastoring Podcast Network on February 15th. I'm so excited. Like, I've seen the clips. The clips look really good. Um, even if you're not, like, literally revitalizing a church, these type of conversations are just helpful in, for anybody, like, trying to minister well in their congregation. So check that out when it comes out live in, a, in just, like, a few weeks, a few days. Um, all right, this next question comes from Mark Messmore. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, Mark Messmore. He says this, Carrie Newoff re recently published an article about friendships in the church, how your church friends tend to be more like work friends than real friends when you work in the church. 
How do we navigate the reality that plenty of people may simply cease to leave our lives, may simply cease to leave our lives once we no longer are in the church role? I, I think ultimately what he's asking is the reality is once you leave a church, those friends aren't your friends anymore. Um, I think all of us, okay. all of us have like left the church and then a lot of those like maybe big relationships you realize become distant Facebook friends at some point. So like, what are your thoughts about that? How do you, how do you navigate friendships? I mean, uh, it's the three of you are in lead pastor roles where seemingly you don't have an end date to where you're working at right now. So like I, you may like see long-term relationships with the people you have there. And oftentimes in that situation, the inverse happens. The moment they go to another church, that they end the friendship. So that's even like more disheartening and painful. But what do you think about this question? And what do you think about Karen Newhoff's uh, statement in that? Yeah, um, I experienced this one firsthand because I, when I moved into the lead pastor role, before that I was youth pastor at Lakeview. So I had, I had a lot of I had a lot of good friendships in the church. And Carrie actually talks about this in the article, which we'll link in the show notes because it's a great article. Um, to, you should have this conversation with people, with your friends. Uh, because when I when I stepped into that role, Carrie talks about the the the, the power difference, and I actually lost I lost quite a few friends that just the relationship got awkward, it got weird. E- even some that were on the pastoral search team ended up leaving Lakeview just because we you know there was a just a different dynamic to the relationship. But this is why I lean so heavily on establishing good relationships with pastors in your community, in your area, outside of your church. And Andrew, we talk about this all the time. This has been so key for us over the years um, as we've pastored just a couple of miles from each other for for quite a while now that we still try to to get together on a weekly basis to to chat, to hang out, to catch up because it's a real struggle. Like having friends in the church can be dicey. I, I, I would say I do have a few right now at Lakeview that I would consider very real friends, but again, it, it can, it can change in a moment. It can get awkward real fast. So establishing these relationships outside the local church, if your local church is very, very important. Full on echo everything. Uh, you want to be real with the people that God has called you to serve. You, you want to be in a relationship with them, but there are some levels that you will just never be able to reach as a spiritual leader. And it's like Tim said, it's different when, when you are the youth pastor, someone might, you know, invite you over for something that they're not going to invite you over for if you're the senior pastor, the same way that if they're in the hospital, they want the senior pastor to show up and they're a little bit disappointed if the youth pastor is one that shows up. It's the same, same kind of thing. Um, So your relationship tank does not need to be filled all the way by people in the church. Have lunch with people, have coffee with people, play golf with people, whatever your thing is, absolutely do that. But your best friend should probably be your wife, and you should probably have some really good, deep relationships with other pastors. And if that means that you have to uh, jump on a podcast a couple hours a week so that you can Zoom with pastors across the country, then go ahead and do that, even if no one listens. Um, it's a great way to have conversations and build friendships. I heard it once said that podcasts were the uh, only way that white men could have open and honest conversations with one another. And Jeffrey Carlos and Frank Gill would probably disagree with that because they're not completely white. But 
it's still a great way to have open conversations with each other. Why does it make this about race, dude? No, I would just say like uh, that there is a different like boundaries do not equal inauthentic inauthentic relationships, and I think that's a really important. I and I think one caution I would give to somebody who is either about to take their first ministry job, or especially if you're about to become the senior pastor for the first time, something that you will discover is that there are people in your church who have an unhealthy need to feel like they are in your inner circle on that. They are your best friend. And if you are not wise about that, and if you do not put up boundaries early, what can happen is that you will not realize that's what's going on. And it will create a codependency that's really unhealthy for you and for them. Uh, Because what happens is they think that they are in your inner circle and therefore they can have all the positive aspects of being the pastor's best friend, but they are sort of um, exempt from discipline or hard conversations. And so when you do have those hard conversations with them, they can feel betrayed because they thought, yeah, we're buddies and I don't like you're not going to discipline me because we're like best friends. And so that's a really, really big caution you need to have. I, I would read the book Boundaries um, by Cloud. I think it's Cloud, right? And um, just familiarize yourself with that idea because I think Boundaries is one of the most important um, relation, interpersonal relational things that you can be become aware of and become good at as a, as a pastor. I think different size dynamic churches obviously play this out differently. My experience is in small churches, and I definitely have seen where there can be certain families or groups of people who have been used to being on that inner circle with a previous pastor, and you come in and they expect that from you. And if you put up a boundary, um, you should expect there to be some pushback or maybe even some negativity. Um, And so I I think that's a caution I would have. And, you know, the thing I would say is we're mixing um, sort of realms of life. You're mixing your social circle and your employment circle. And there is that power dynamic as well that you are in charge a little bit. And so um, it's just, it's a different dynamic. And I think you just have to be ready to be hurt um, and for your family to maybe get hurt. If you're going into ministry thinking, I need to find a place where my family's never going to get hurt, don't go into ministry because it ain't going to happen. Your wife and your kids are going to be hurt by relationships in the church. And that's just all there is to it. Um, And so I just think you have to know that stuff beforehand. And that's just my biggest caution is, you know, people who seem like overly enthusiastic to kind of like invite you to every family function, expect you to come to all the stuff that kind of puts you like in an inner circle with them um, that can become codependent really quick. It feels good, though. When you come to a new place and somebody really wants to be friends with you, it feels great. Uh, But you just got to be careful because it could be. And I'm not saying they're doing it maliciously or even intentionally. There's just some emotional unhealth, relational unhealth that they kind of want to be in a click with you. And so that they're shocked when you then turn around and treat them like every other member of the church. Yeah, it's really good. Jeff, kind of what you're saying is like, don't be naive, right? Like you need to expect this to happen. Kerry talks about this in the article. Um, He says something like this. He says, you might be reading this thinking, not me, man, like my, I've got real friends in the church. And then he says, okay, try this, try making a decision that they don't like, and then you'll see who your real friends are. Like, that is so true because as leaders, we have to make 
sometimes really difficult decisions and we'll find out really fast, right? Who our, our friends are or, or aren't even, you know, are they comfortable with the decision that they wouldn't exactly agree with? So tough. I do think we sometimes as pastors conflate friendship with hospitality and there's a lot of really hospitable people in our church, right? And, um, and the hospi hospitality feels really like endearing and good. Um, but like, uh, I think there's a reality. I think this is one of those like cost of ministries, like the burden of a pastor of just like, you're going to have these deep, intimate relationships, but like they're very easily could be a thing. I would, what Tim just said, you make one decision and they're leaving and you're like, it makes no sense. Like this seems so small and they're leaving because of that. Right. Like, um, or if you're in my case, when you're not like like if you're a youth pastor, an associate pastor, something like that, a decision that you had nothing to do with could be could happen, and your best friend in church that you you feel, feels like a best friend leaves because of that, and like it's hard. It's 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 one of the biggest like pains that you can experience in ministry, and um, I I think like what like sustains the ship of my like mental health when it comes to like relational relationship stuff is like what we're talking about right here is like having relationships that I always say this, you, every person in ministry, I think it's true. Any person needs this, but every person needs someone that is not impressed with you and also doesn't need something from you. Right. And, and so therefore like the guys in this podcast, like are those, I love that for me, like they don't go to my church, so they don't need something from me. And they say it often, they're not impressed with me. Right. So, so if that's the case, like, I know that when they talk to me, it's like real, like it's real friendship. And like, they really want what's best for me. And if I'm doing something dumb or stupid, they're gonna call me out of it. There's gonna be grace involved and, and they're gonna challenge me where like people in your church, they, they wanna project as much as they can to, as what they think a pastor should be. And so they might not always be honest with you. And then when you make that thing, that decision that they don't like, or like you step into a realm of theology that they don't, they're uncomfortable with, like, They'll just like leave you over something that feels like such a tertiary issue, a secondary issue that you in a normal, real friendship could endure. That relationship can endure that. And it's hard. And so I, I think that's like, it's like, I forgot who said this to me or who said it, or I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the illustration, but it's like love deeply, but like hold it with an open hand, like realize that like you're, you're, you can't even develop thick enough skin to endure it all. But like, you need to prepare yourself to endure it because yeah, your family's gonna get hurt. Your kid's best friends are gonna not be there. Uh, your your wife who's who's like very dependent on you being secure where you are can lose friendships overnight because of a decision that you make. And, and that's hard. And so um, finding those relationships outside. And, and even if you can't start a, a podcast so that white men can get real relationships or whatever Andrew just said. <laughs> Like, um, I know honest like conversations Jeff, about their honest conversation, you know, like I know Jeff is, is, is like a coach on his, like, a, a, like a, in his community for like baseball and stuff like that. Like you can find outside the, your, your local church relationships with other, other, it could be other Christians that just go to a different church or, um, or you just, or other pastors, like in other communities, like these pastoral networks, in our communities could be some of those life-giving thing because they understand exactly what you're going through. So there's this like fraternity that like they get that they're saying like, I understand that. As I long think as you like all of the things you said, Frank are true for any other job too. Like 
if you're the, you know, if you're the breadwinner in your house, you could make one stupid decision at work and lose your job and your family would have to move. It's just exacerbated in ministry because um, it's also your social. Like if, if, if I work at Home Depot and my wife doesn't know anybody from my job and I get fired and we have to move somewhere, like she loses security and income, but she doesn't lose friends in the same way that, you know, that she would if, if it was ministry related. So I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that it's a completely unique situation. I think it's very similar, just like ramped up in intensity. Um, and the other thing I would say is like, I've heard this so many times to, to uh, the pastor that um, really mentored me is people would do something really hurtful and then be like, well, it's not personal. And it's like, no, it is personal, which is what makes me able to be a decent pastor. I actually do care about you as a person. And so when you leave, it does hurt. And you need to understand that, like, you you can't, you know, I've had this conversation with, with folks here who've left. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying this out of spite, but you, you can't just like avoid the pain of relational break. So, so like, it's true on your end, but it's also true on the end of people who leave. And we've said to people, they, you know, we're going to go to this other church and everything's going to be the same. We're still going to, and it's like, you have to be like, listen, I'm not mad. I don't hate you, but like the relationship is not going to be the same. That's just the reality of it. Like, we're not going to be in the same setting once a week anymore. So we're not going to see each other like we used to. So like, I'm not saying that because I don't want to. I'm just telling you the truth. And I think that's a really difficult dynamic in this too. I want to add one thing, um, especially because we know there's a lot of youth pastors that that tune into this. If you are in a role in a church where you are heavily dependent on volunteers, which we all are in some way, but if you're if your primary role is not like upfront communication and you have a lot of volunteers, it's really easy to just assume that your bestie is going to be the person that volunteers the hardest or like the person that is always down to go to camp and, and, and real relationships can come from that. But then life change happens. They're going to get married. They're going to have a kid. They're not going to be able to do whatever it is. So don't let your friendship with the people in your church depend on a service that they can provide for a season of life because we get then they get hurt by you as the pastor so let your friendship and your need for volunteers let those be two very different things and let your appreciation of your volunteers not be tied to the way that you give out your friendship and then i i got to say you know people say all the time you know leadership is lonely ministry is such a lonely profession I have never experienced that because I was really, really fortunate in that I came up for the first decade or so in ministry on staffs where there were multiple youth pastors all on staff together. And so it was kind of like us versus the grownups in a lot of ways in church world. And so there was a good sense of camaraderie in that. And then when I was kind of by myself on a silo at church, just because neither of us had the budget to do what we wanted to do. I got thrown in with Timmy, and here we are, you know, 15 years after the fact with that. So ministry can be lonely if you let it be lonely. Find people that you get to circle the wagons with and do ministry with them. And what what other profession? There are 300,000 churches in America. There are people out there, probably geographically close to you, that have a natural affinity with you that the people that worship in the pews aren't going to have. Take someone out to lunch. Make a buddy. It will change your world for the better, I promise. This is great stuff. 
Uh, if you are interested in uh, looking for some of that community, I want to invite you to the Practically Pastoring Podcast Facebook group. Um, we uh, have over a thousand people in there so far. Pretty not toxic. Uh, it's it's a great time, good place to bounce ideas, but it's also a great place to um, maybe meet a new friend. I see this periodically. Someone says, Southeast Wisconsin, anyone near me? And that can open a conversation up of like maybe meeting someone who is is nearby. And 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 this is important. This what and I I realize my relationships with other people in ministry, which I needed, started getting better the moment I took when Andrew met me in Arkansas and he was like, Hey, do you want to start working for DYM and stuff like that? I went to that first DYM one hundred conference, which is like a youth pastors conference. And I was confronted with this reality that you need to confront yourself, especially if you're newer in ministry and you have a lot of like convictions about your denomination and theology, is be okay to make ministry friends with people who are in different denominations, different uh, core secondary things, you know, whatever. Like I, at DYM 100, you know, met egalitarians and complementarians, Calvinists, Arminians, Baptists, Methodists, the whole swath. And those relationships are some of the closest ministry relationships I've ever had. And when I say ministry relationships, I'm not downplaying. They're real relationships. But I had to overcome some of my own, like, barriers of entry from my own friendships because I thought, oh, the only people who I can be friends with are people who think exactly like me and my theology or, or my de denominational stances uh, when it comes to ministry. And be, when I overcame that, I have had such rich relationships and friendships because of that. Um, and I think that applies to every level. Like my our campus pastor network up here has people from a bunch of different denominations and backgrounds. When I was the youth the youth ministry network, same thing. Um, and I mean, the practically pastoring podcast network is a lot of different uh, kinds of people. When we had the conference, people from every single uh, flavor came to our conference and it was beautiful. Last year, when we were sitting by the fire at your elder's house, Tim, and we were having like deep theological conversation by the fire and it was clear, there's some different beliefs here. I mean, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, different views on hell. We were talking about different views of the atonement and it was a rich conversation but there was a beauty. There was a beauty that like we trust each other. We're not worried that if I have a a different tertiary issue than you, that you're going to abandon me, right? Because we're just here for friendship, and we're here to build with one another. And there's something beautiful about that. So join the podcast uh, Facebook group. With that being said, we'll hope to see you next week. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson, and I'm Timothy Miller. This is Pastor. See you.